around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, do you think that this show takes more inspiration from seminal techno band The Prodigy or sadly deceased gangster rapper from Mob Deep, Prodigy? I mean, I would assume <laughs> the rapper, of course. Yeah, yeah. This show sits alone in its four-cornered room, staring at candles high on drugs. Every kid I know uh, loves Prodigy. Yeah. Both kinds, really. Yeah. Loves Mob Deep. This is what happens when, if you're a parent, you push your children into appreciating one Prodigy, and then they choose the other just to spite you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My, uh... My cousin, who's a Red Sox fan and is, is miffed to be raising Yankees fans, for example. That's how it goes every time. Yeah, yeah. Big news dump today, Ben, at the time of this recording. <laughs> yeah. We get a Strange New Worlds poster. And there's a horse. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a jazz horse, I believe. I mean, Captain Pike's wearing the hat and everything. Yeah. What's that about? We sat down with Anson Mount for an interview. We know that uh, we know that this could be a jazz horse, just based on his general vibe. I think you should take some time away from the ship, a little further away from the ship, <laughs> would be my advice. <laughs> You're saying the posters of the captain on vacation, but with the ship just in atmosphere right behind him? Yeah. Take a break, man. <laughs> Cut loose. I should be talking, but really, like, uh, this is what Captain Picard always had a problem with also. Mm. Taking time for himself, exploring hobbies away from the ship, using his personal saddle. Most serious riders do have their own saddles. One time he tried to go horseback riding, some, uh, some lunatics tried to take over the ship, so... I mean, they've got to give us that bottle episode. I mean, from what I hear, they're all bottle episodes on right. Strange New Worlds, but like... That's the pitch. Got to give us uh, Pike gets into trouble while interested in riding ponies episode. <laughs> you telling me they don't need to do a, a Verderon sweep Yeah. on that ship? You should never read the comments, but I was reading the tweet replies to the poster unveil. And like one of the first ones I saw was a guy going, I just don't want any of the characters to have tragic backstories. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, what are they supposed to talk about? Yeah. That's new Star Trek law. How do they transmit their grief back and forth to each other if not through unpacking trauma? Did I get Verderon sweep wrong? I think you're right about that. Baryon sweep. God damn. God Damn it! <laughs> oh! oh, Adam, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm sure I've done the same thing before. Baryon. Baryon sweep. I yeah. totally thought, is it, there's a Verdeon pulse at some point, I yes, want to say. Yes, that was, that was from Discovery. Oh, really? Wasn't that when, uh, when Michael Burnham was strapped to that chair and they had to open up the sunroof? Oh. Were those Verderons that cooked her in the chair? Oh, Verderon pulses can also be used to 
There are subatomic particles capable of traveling faster than the speed of light. There's a DS9 episode about them and a couple of Star Trek colon Enterprise episodes about it. Um, I'm wrong again, aren't I? God, I'm in real trouble, Ben, because, I mean, this is not... <laughs> we haven't talked about this with the mics on, but we we discuss it all the time. You get three things wrong in a single episode, and you're off the show. You're just off of it, and I've already gotten two things wrong in the Marin. Yeah, the HR policies at Uxbridge have gotten a lot more complex since we had to hire a full-time employee. Uh, you know, we have to professionalize in a lot of other areas, and one of the one of the things that we had to do is implement a three strikes you're out policy. W slash R slash T being wrong. This really puts a lot of pressure on me for this episode, yeah. Ben. I gotta, I gotta throw a perfect game on the mic. I know. Pretty much. Well, the thing that's fucked up is we've recorded like four hundred something episodes of the Greatest Generation, over hundred and fifty episodes of this show, and they all basically prepared us to be pretty fast and loose with being wrong. You know. Well, I mean, we worked a deep groove into our our rich tradition of being wrong all the time. But also, notably, you neither you nor me have ever been wrong more than twice on any recording that we've ever done. That's true, but like taking it up to the limit that often, yeah, I think has has given us both kind of bad habits. So it is the only way I can feel anything anymore. <laughs> Just pushing it right to the edge. Yeah, taking it to the limit. I've been wrong twice during the Marin. I've got this uh, this dry cleaning bag tied around my neck, Ben. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I'm ready to do a very exciting show. Why don't we get into the second half of this cliffhanger? Okay. Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 10, A Moral Star, Part 2. Pointed out to us that this is an anagram of Tars Lamora. Both by the creator of the show and also by lots of listeners. Ooh, that's so creative. <laughs> they should do one of those uh, vertical, what are those things called that you make in school? Like you you put prodigy. Oh, yeah. P is uh, <laughs> performing. R is rock talks fucked up mouth. <laughs> o is what rock talks mouth should look like without teeth. If you read the first letter on each line of the script, it's never gonna give you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just keeping it fun over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we basically start this episode right where we left off. Speaking uh, of the writer's room, Ben, did you notice eight written by credits? I did, yeah. I kind of wonder if... Because like we talk about this on The Greatest Generation, that if you get a writer salad, if you get lots of credits at the yeah. beginning of a TNG or DS9 episode, for example, that is often a hint that there were lots of script problems that they tried to solve by bringing new teams and new writers right. aboard. Yeah. This, now I, I could be wrong, but this looked to me a lot more like they were giving everybody in the writer's room an episode by credit because there's like a guild rule that they can like get insurance or something because of that. You think these are sympathy credits? I don't think they're sympathy credits, but I think that like showrunners will occasionally do that in a way that is like meant as a thank you to a writer's room, not as a every single person here wrote an equal portion of the script or whatever. Wow. 
It's kind of the opposite of Gene Roddenberry taking over the writer's credit on the pilot of TNG. You know what? You just give people writer's credits, Ben, and you're not going to get any of them to write. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's Star Trek uh, living up to Star Trek values is what's Uh happening here. I don't know about that, Ben. I think that might be pretty controversial. Mm. Maybe we could do a little research project. Maybe we could... uh have uh, the official account ask one of the, cuz the showrunners are are active on Twitter we could we could ask about it yeah our official sh- account should ask their official account if these are sympathy credits <laughs> that's what that's what bill is here to do <laughs> wade into the co- internet controversy so we don't have to i would like to keep getting screeners ben so <laughs> That's not something I'm comfortable putting out into the world. Man, so you think that the showrunners of Star Trek and Prodigy have the power to call up Paramount and say, we don't want these chuckleheads to get screeners any longer? I think anyone with a Paramount badge, <laughs> like anyone, anyone showing Paramount employee ID could shut us down. Okay. Well, if that's the case, Adam, have you ever noticed what a great user interface Paramount Plus has? You know, I was just thinking about that. What I like about it the most is how much of it you get to explore while you're trying to find the thing that you want to watch. We'll cover more ground if we split up. It's so good, and it has so many so many different programming options that I would never have known about had they not designed it in that way, that uh, I really feel privileged to be able to get these screeners. I don't want them to stop. What I like is the surprise of sometimes captioning being on and sometimes being off. Yeah. I like how every other day it crashes the browser I use when I watch it on my computer just to make sure I'm paying attention. Uh huh. I like how you can watch the next episode, but if you want to watch not the next episode, it's almost like a Rubik's Cube. You know, yeah. it's a fun puzzle to solve. It is. Other people are, are interested in posting how well they did in Wordle that day. I like to post on Twitter how many clicks it took me to get to the thing I was looking for on Paramount+. Plus. This is the triangular Rubik's Cube. You remember that one? <laughs> With the pointy points? Yeah. Pretty fun. I like that one. Well, we pick up in this episode right where we left off, which is um, the Diviner being upset that the protocore is not on the ship. Gwen taking a knife to his neck. It's, the, uh, it's that gauntlet that he gave her. It's like a wristwatch that she wears that sometimes turns into a sword. And uh, now it's become a shackle, Adam. Mm. I mean, a lot of people look at their watch as a, uh, as a convenience, but it's actually manacling us to this thing called time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great comp. Pretty heavy. <laughs> this is one of those shitty gifts that, like, I don't know, my mind is obviously on dogs all the time, but like mm-hmm. if you give someone an animal that only uh, responds to your commands, that's what Gwyn's <laughs> bracelet does. The diviner gave her the bracelet, but it'll listen to only his commands. And so when Gwyn tries to uh, to stab him with it, it's not going to listen to her. No. So she's locked up and uh, he explains that uh, they're going to head back to Tars Lamora and get back their protocore and kill all her friends in the process. I mean, this was a scene where you hear the diviner say he needs to get Starfleet. 
using it. And I think that's about as much detail as we've ever gotten about his master plan Yeah, up to this point. Getting Starfleet. That's the mission. I'm coming to get you. In the immortal words of Macho Man Randy Savage. It's really, uh, it's like the Ghostbusters plan. Like Getter <laughs> is, is a terrible plan <laughs> if you're trying to bust ghosts or if you're trying to destroy Starfleet. That's right, boys. Back on Tars Labora, the plan is going somewhat better. They're using their communicator badges to try to talk to all of the miners uh, about how they need to get on the Rev-12 so that they can uh, get off this rock. And the miners, initially kind of distracted by just the novelty of being able to communicate with each other. And uh, the first two that Dell talks to seem to have formed a, an emotional connection that transcended their inability to communicate verbally. Yeah. I mean, this podcast both stands and ships the uh, the chordo Gjord slut relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The uh, C slash G fan fiction that I've already written in my head is uh, quite yeah. erotic. Yeah. I mean, very much so. Can't wait till they get those suits off, I bet. Who builds who the tub in that scenario is the question I have in my head. I don't know. I think what you want is the tub to be built as quickly as possible. So I think they're both pitching in. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they both seem pretty handy. Yeah. Gorbslut has uh, has six limbs. So, I mean, it's a pretty good deal. They're probably great with tools given the slave labor they've been working under for yeah. uh, a period of years. Meanwhile, Murph and Jankum and Rocktalk are headed toward the warp core of the Rev-12. They have to walk between a bunch of these uh, killer robots on their way in. And uh, just after they walk past them, the killer ro- robots start waking back up, presumably at the command of Dreadnought, who's on his way back with the Protostar. This always happens. I feel like most kids would recognize the danger here. Like mm-hmm. in any video game, you can't walk past... <laughs> The threat, it's just going to wake up and get you. Just going to wake up and get you. They like slam the door in between them and and the killer robots and Rock Talk is stuck doing the Dr. Sattler, Dr. Grant, hold the the, uh, velociraptors back while Jankum Pog works the reactor problem. But the reactor is really fucked up. It's full of warf lightning. It's not in great shape and Jankum Pog is a little bit overwhelmed looking at this problem. Because he can't fix it with a plumber's wrench (laughs) like step one for jenkum pog does the plumber's wrench work step two shrug (laughs) step three profit (laughs) rock talk kind of steps into the problem solving vacuum here yeah with a moment straight out of old school where will ferrell like does that debate team answer (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Rock Talk's eyes roll into the back of her head and she proposes the solution to the problem. That was perfect. And Jenkin Paga is more than happy to uh, let her hop in and pursue the solution. Her eyes roll back forward and makes super intense eye contact with Rock Talk and she's like, look at me. <laughs> I'm the engineer now. Yeah, but I mean, if you need a doorstop, I don't know how good Jenkin Pog's <laughs> going to be in this moment. Rock yeah. Talk really takes up a lot of space. Yeah, she really does. Uh, and and like the, the, there are lots of like little cubbies in this warp core that sort of look like a problem for a rock talk, but they get to work. Wait, I don't know what you mean by that. The little like access port that 
Jankum was looking into is like Jankum size, but it's not rock talk size. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, this is analogous to the Zero's claw hand problem. Right. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Zero, we cut down to Zero trying to coax the kitty cat from earlier out from behind some equipment when one of these killer robots sets upon Zero, shoots off Zero's bad claw hand, which I felt like the show is taking a big opportunity here. (laughs) Okay, finally Zero's going to have it. A chance to upgrade the hand. Dal comes to the rescue. It turns out these killer robots are not phaser-proof. I love how for the rest of the episode, Zero floats around with the remaining appendage hanging from the middle like a big dog. It's time I show you who I truly am. (laughs) Well, it's just, yeah, it's like equilibrium, right? Like that's the heaviest part of Zero now. I think the biggest leap in science fiction the show has ever taken might be the idea that Zero tries to rescue a cat who has cornered itself and the cat doesn't lash out and strike (laughs) and cut Zero to pieces in this moment. Yeah, I mean, we learn later that this cat has uh, some really intense claws. So, (laughs) I mean, this, this could have been a catastrophe because Zero comes out of that shell on Tars Lamora Drives all the miners mad. Would have been bad. Zero could have lost that other arm. (laughs) Never had much control of them anyway. So they get the warp core back online and uh, the the gravity comes back and Dal is like working to try and plug his communicator badge into the house arrest anklet on the kitty because they realize they're not going to be able to broadcast their signal to enough miners because it's just kind of like local space where you can use the universal translator but as he's working on this i love how the tech is based on like mini jack (laughs) (laughs) you just plug it into the aux cable on the (laughs) the house arrest anklet that's all you need to do (laughs) as he's working on this the protostar shows back up though and uh Dreadnought beams into the warp core and starts attacking Rock Talk and Murph and Jenga Pog. And this is a uh, this is one of those combat scenes you can tell is not going to go well. Jenga Pog gets to hacking and slashing. Jenga Pog actually has some aptitude for this, right? He gets a few like pretty severe headshots in on Dreadnought. That's what I thought. He's a good guy to have around. Maybe he shouldn't be the engineer. Maybe he should be the tactical officer and let Rock Talk do what Rock Talk is good at. Yeah. Yeah. And also, fringe benefit, Rock Talk being down in the engineering room means nobody has to look at her mouth. Exactly. <laughs> Fine by me. Maybe Rock Talk would have to wear a helmet. Mm. Kind of all the time working down there. <laughs> also good. I can't breathe in this thing. Or a gas mask. You know, whatever it takes. Right. So just when it looks like all is lost, the miners storm the warp core and uh, overwhelm Dreadnought, and the kitty uses the cat claws to to slash the head off of uh, (laughs) Dreadnought. Dreadnought just constantly getting decapitated. Yeah. Does this mean the end of Dreadnought? Is this like... Dreadnought patient zero, or can Dreadnought always be rebuilt in the uh, vehicle replicator? I feel like there are uh, infinite Dreadnoughts for infinite combinations of (laughs) storylines. Yeah, maybe so. I think he's coming back. Yeah. 
the uh, Killer Kitty is the hero, gets uh, hoisted up on everybody's shoulders and paraded around the engineering section. What did you make of the Kitty's hero entrance in this moment? Yeah, we know how voice. It really broke the spell for me. Like, I'd been, I think I've been deluding myself watching this show, thinking that, like, oh, yeah, this is for adults. I can enjoy this <laughs> as an adult. When that Kitty steps into frame and delivers her lines, I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. This is a kid show. Yeah. The kid show energy reasserting itself. I don't, like it it swings wildly back and forth for me. Yeah. Cuz so much of it like doesn't have that energy and and I feel like yeah, like you could just edit around that and this episode would feel like it is pretty accessible for any age group. But You know what? If you replace the word voice with feeling seen, it's dialogue straight out of Star Trek Discovery, though, too. Oh, please, let us know what you think. I don't feel great saying that, but <laughs> there it is. Wow, bit of a hot take. Yeah. You think the kitty's sticking around, though, huh? Like, this is the hero turn for Kitty? Kitty's going to join the show, right? Isn't that what you'd no, expect? I, I think Kitty's going off on the Rev 12, and, and the Rev 12 is going to be its own its own spin-off show. I know we know by the end that the kitty leaves on the rev 12 but i'm saying in this moment it feels oh. it feels like we're going to combine some crews here yeah this becomes the step by step of star trek yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> it's a thing that happens off screen and this is there are many examples of this in this episode right like doll earlier is inspired by hearing one of the foot shackles beep Mm-hmm. And then we basically cut from that moment over to here where all the the prisoners storm engineering. Right. And by Dahl turning everyone's shackles into universal translators, it really suggests that as soon as everyone could talk to each other, like they immediately were able to do a lot of damage. It's almost as if once you give a bunch of angry people the ability to communicate in secret mm. without any moderation at all. Like, one of the first things they do is try to overthrow the people in charge, huh? <laughs> yeah, they try to they try to uh, stop civil procedure from happening. I mean, I noticed the uh, the star date on the corner mm. as being mm. January 6th. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it. I did notice that the uh, the Lurian guy had uh, horns and a, and a fur <laughs> and no shirt on. <laughs> yeah, it would be the Lurian, wouldn't it? Yeah. A guy with two heads had zip ties on his belt. <laughs> it's not entirely good news. Once the uh, once the Gatorade is dumped onto the kitty, no one seems to have noticed the flash of light that uh, yeah. emanated from inside Murph. And when Murph slithers out, he's looking pretty svelte. That's because he does not have the protocore in his body anymore. They beamed the core out of Murph, preventing an absolutely apocalyptic fart. Yeah. I think that, you know, like the diviner, bad dude, evil plan, but also let's be thankful that this absolutely world-shattering fart was averted by this action. Pretty tight annular confinement beam on that transporter, eh, Ben? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that could be the poops out of a baby, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the protostar, and in 10 minutes, this drive will be online, thanks to them swiping the engine part. And Ben, how many minutes are left in the episode at this point? Mm, 15 or so. 
10 minutes exactly, Ben. <laughs> we're a one-to-one ratio. Oh, you mean in this episode? I thought you meant in the episode we're reviewing. That That's how I meant it, in the episode <laughs> we're reviewing. Oh, okay. Is that wrong? I looked at the time code and it looked like uh, we had 10 minutes left. Almost no, exactly. No, we were about 10 minutes into the episode. Oh, fuck, Adam! You were wrong for a third time. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit, dude. All right, well, uh... <laughs> Have a good rest hey, of the episode, Ben. It's been really an honor to do this with you, man, uh, all these years. I should have been more careful. I was so cavalier. And to get kicked off the show for time code reasons? Yeah. Man. Mm. All right, well, good luck, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Wendy, could you use that thing in Descript that will make it sound like, uh, like just for continuity of episode, like I don't, Adam is off mic now, but can you do the thing where y- you can just type stuff into Descript, like what you think Adam would say <laughs> back to me, and we'll, we'll try and do the rest of the episode like that? Sure thing, Ben. All right, here we go. I'm watching the Descript page populate, and it's just der, der, der. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So Gwen was not left shackled up on the protostar. No. She got let out. And the first thing she did was go up to the bridge and start trying to disable the protostar's shields. And the diviner gets back up there and he's like, great, let's start killing these, uh, these unwanted and, uh, you know, getting ready to go kill the entire Federation. Hey, what are you doing? Don't disable the shields. He walks on the bridge and he's like, Gwyn, where are your shoes? <laughs> and the shoes sure as shit have been thrown into the control panel that Gwyn's working on. Hence the word sabotage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where did you get wood to make those with? This is when Hologram Janeway does... Can you do... I've heard of a heel turn. Do people ever do a face turn in a professional wrestling, Adam? Oh, yeah. This is like double heel. Yeah, double heel equals face. Right. <laughs> and... uh she uh, turns into sort of hollow combat Janeway. She is like full of affirmations for Gwen while the diviner catches these hands. And she winds up uh, unplugging one of the Ketracel purple tubes on his shirt. Ketracel grape? <laughs> Ketracel drank? Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no vitamins in that shit. He winds up uh, sort of bleeding out all over the floor on the bridge, and it's looking really bad for the diviner. And this is when he starts to uh, finally make with the what his deal is, why he will stop at nothing to destroy the Federation and enslave whoever he has to enslave in the process. The diviner sucks. <laughs> he takes a knee and he's like, oh, Gwen, I'm going to die. You got to help me, but not just me, our people. Yeah. Because I'm on a bigger mission, a mission you can't even understand. A mission you couldn't understand. <laughs> a mission you wouldn't understand. A mission you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. And in a pool of grape Kool-Aid, <laughs> the diviner finally gives us at long last the master plan. Yeah. Which includes the revelation that he is from the future. It's time travel. Yeah. He has traveled back to the current time 
to make sure that their planet continues to exist. At this moment in time, Solem does exist. Yeah. But it's soon going to be destroyed. Right. So Gwen hits pause on Hologram Janeway and decides to hear him out. You got to hear him out, right? Yeah, just... I mean, look at him. He's helpless. He's covered in melted popsicle. Mm-hmm. Bring these people on the Sunday shows. Give them a platform. <laughs> let them explain their perspective. We can wipe out all of Starfleet. And, you know, let the best idea win. You can't trade one tragedy for another. I mean, otherwise you'd look unfair. Yeah. You got to give balance uh, to these things. <laughs> So yeah, we cut to the Rev 12 where uh, everybody, there's a scene in this episode where all the miners get into like little pods on the bridge of the Rev 12. And I thought maybe they were getting into like fighter jets or something. Yeah. But that's not what they are. They're just, I think they're just computer stations with like the kind of restraints that a roller coaster car has. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, Rev 12, great ship, dog shit inertial dampers. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) Have to hose out the pod after going to warp. (laughs) Everybody just turns into cat food against the back wall. And the one minor kitty is like, hmm. The frost bad for you. So they're trying to like melt the shields on the uh, protostar because Gwen hasn't held up her end of the bargain and the shields are still up and they need to... uh, they need those shields down so that they can beam over. But uh, meantime, Gwyn and the Diviner boot up a special holodeck program that he has on a uh, USB key that shows Gwyn what the Vaunicott homeworld looks like. And it looks great. Looks like a real nice place. Pretty cool that the Diviner is suddenly breathing properly and uh, not about to mm-hmm. die and leaking antifreeze all over the place. Yeah, it seemed like that just got plugged right back in and yeah, wasn't an issue. Not a big deal. Like you said, the, the diviner sucks. Do you think he sucked up his uh, his juice? Oh, it's purple. <laughs> yeah. He just took a straw and slurped it off the floor of the bridge. Yeah, he uh, he bowled his hands and then uh, sort of mushed it up into his chest. <laughs> and everything's fine. I mean, this is a reason not to trust the Diviner. Was he faking his proximity to death in the earlier scene? Right. This part did not hold together for me. Everything starting in the holodeck holds together poorer than the moments previous. Gwyn does not seem to have noticed this little continuity issue with what he's presenting her with. And um, Hey, if I catch a mistake on the show, does that mean it undoes a mistake that I made on this show? Wow. Well, since Wendy is typing all this stuff into Descript right now, um, I think it's technically Wendy that caught that. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. But you know what? Hold on. Let me let me call Adam and get him back on this. Hey, welcome back to the show, Adam. Um, hey! So, some good news. Um, not you technically, but the robotic avatar that Wendy was creating for you caught a, a continuity error. In uh-huh. Prodigy, yeah. I think it's debatable whether it's a continuity error or just that the diviner is so confident in his deception of Gwyn uh-huh. that he didn't uh, actually attempt to cover it up or explain it away at all. I mean, that's how you get away with stuff: deception, confidence. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But uh, Robo Adam did catch a mistake in the episode, and uh, our HR department determined that you could come back to the show on a uh, sort of probationary basis. I mean, this is great. 
I mean, everyone knows HR departments are out to defend the company and not the employee. So right, uh, right. It, it seemed like kind of a long shot that I'd ever be back here. I'm really glad you're back, man. Like I was honestly not doing that well with just a robot to talk to. It doesn't surprise me at all. I'm sure the robot had to uh, carry a lot of weight conversationally. You know, the show is embarrassingly enough for me, 50% is funny. <laughs> <laughs> They show the before and after of Starfleet making first contact with Solom. And first contact was catastrophic for the Vaunacot. Not because Starfleet did anything, but because the Vaunacot were sort of gray supremacists. Mm. And when they saw that there was a larger galaxy full of equally intelligent species, some of them were like, cool, let's like... Uh, open up diplomatic relationships with these people, invite them to uh, to open up diplomatic relationships with us. And some of them were like, no, we're the uh, ultimate beings in the universe and we need to maintain that worldview at all costs. How is it that you feel like you're the ultimate beings in the universe when someone else visits you extraterrestrially? <laughs> like, I think you're whatever the worldview equivalent is of like universe view like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's got to be shattered at that point, right? You would think that you could talk a white supremacist out of their <laughs> bullshit beliefs, and you would think the same thing about a gray supremacist. First contact dissolves all supremacy, right? It has to. Yeah, you would hope. You yeah. would hope. But, um, yeah, so he's explaining to her also, like, first contact was disaster for people like me. I built a weapon into the protostar that will do to Starfleet what we did to ourselves <laughs> as Rewenge for all of this. It sounds like by description, it's kind of an automated system. Like all the ship has to do is get close to another Starfleet ship, right? Yeah, I was a little unclear about that because he said like arm it and he wasn't really specific about what it was, but also Gwen is like positive that they cannot make contact with Starfleet now based on what he says. Yeah. So anyways, uh it's a Trojan ship. Is it yeah, is a is a Trojan ship. It's going to it's going to fuck Starfleet up. It's going to turn Starfleet's ships against each other if it makes contact with a Starfleet ship. Gwyn does not like this plan at all. No. She makes a really good point. She you know, she's like this is just tragedy begetting tragedy. It doesn't undo the initial awful thing. Except Gwyn's grasp of temporal mechanics is wrong, though, because it absolutely does. By using the Trojan ship plan in this way, what happens to Solemn is undone. Yeah, but she's like making the case that why don't you just tell them not to make contact with Solemn and, <laughs> and not kill them all prophylactically. You gotta be sure. It's the only way to be sure, Ben. Fucking A. They can bill me. <laughs> so... So, yeah, she's taking great umbrage with the approach he is uh, suggesting when the arch appears and Dal walks into the room, dual wielding phasers and uh, tries to take out the diviner. But the diviner throws some more of this uh, Gwyn shackle around Dal. Yeah. And he's all tied up now. Yeah. He's got more of that stuff than Gwyn yeah. by a lot. He's fucking covered in it. He's surprised somehow from behind, Ben. Yeah. Because Dal entered using the arch like anyone would in a holodeck. Zero has been there the whole time. Yeah, maybe beamed directly into the holodeck. Right. 
I contend this is another continuity error. Wow. Wow. So now you, Adam, in person has taken another mark off of your record for this episode. Right. You could be wrong about another thing freely and stay on the show. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm playing with house money right now. Two times is a coincidence. Three is a pattern. Something terrible happens here, though. Yeah. Because Zero takes off their suit. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I've had people react to my body in the same way. Mm-hmm. Zero's true form, while unclothed, so white and blinding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It's like it's like me disrobing to go swimming or something. It's uh, right. it's yeah. a lot for people to take on, and it drives mm. most people mad. Yeah, and it's a real like Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. Group vacation with Adam can can really <laughs> change your life forever. <laughs> Before I get into the pool, a lot of people will like stare at each other, screaming. Yeah, telling each other not to look over in my direction right. before I get in. I say to my wife, "Look at me," and she says. Look at you. Why don't I just close my fucking eyes, you moron? <laughs> yeah, that is another weird bit of business here. Is yeah. But it's it's less romantic that way. You want a scene where Gwyn and Dahl stare into each other's eyes, but Gwyn can't lock his gaze because Gwyn takes a look at the reflection in Dahl's com badge. Yeah, and Dahl's like, hey, Gwyn, my eyes are up here. Yeah. But it's too late. She's caught just enough of a reflection in the com badge of Zero's true form that her eyes dilate and she collapses in a heap. Yeah. Zero just feels rotten about this. Yeah. Zero puts their suit back on and uh, we've got two bodies on the ground, both the Diviner and Gwyn. Yeah. Zero was so pissed off at the Diviner. Yeah. I hadn't really thought much about how much of a legit axe to... Like, I think they all do, but like Zero most of all, because Zero had been used as an implement of torture. That's a great point. And it's got to grind Zero more than anyone how many opportunities Gwyn gives the Diviner to fuck them over at every turn. Yeah, yeah. When the one chance Zero has to exact revenge, Zero takes. Totally. And takes big time. Yeah. So the diviner's mind is scrambled eggs. Gwen is not in as bad of shape uh, as we learn in the hologram Janeway's uh, training log, which uh, gives us a big expo dump toward the end of this episode. The diviner is imprisoned on Tars Lamora, living by himself, presumably, as a madman. The Rev-12 is now a liberationist vessel that uh, seems like it's going to go off on its own adventures with the miners as its crew. Who's the captain? I don't know. The fucking cat? <laughs> the captain? Ugh. <laughs> hey, does Dr. Cat's name is Dr. Tana. have the same, like, super claws? F***ing A, I do. Can Dr. Cat's, like, cut through metal? Yeah. We haven't seen that on Lower Decks, but now I want to know. Great call. Is he f***ing serious? Uh, Protostar crew are back in their civilian clothes at the end of this episode, but uh, Gwyn is in like a all-white like Starfleet medical uniform, and she seems to be making a full recovery, except for she cannot remember the specific stuff that she learned in the events of this episode, so... She does not know that they cannot go. 
as your assigned social worker, I will help you <laughs> reintegrate into your professional life. No one knows better than me what it is like to have your entire past erased. Take it from me. You have it easy. It is possible to live a somewhat normal life. For example, sometimes I will burp and it will taste like bird meat coated with caviar. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why. That just that just dissolved my brains. <laughs> what in the hell? Yeah, I mean Gwyn's got the aid of a clip show device, I guess kind of forming her brains back together after mm-hmm. her experience. Some eggs can be unscrambled. Yeah. Where are they gonna go, Ben? Uh Starfleet is the answer, and Gwyn for some reason does not stop them. Yeah. Because that was one of the lost memories. Yeah. Uh-oh. So uh, they bring grave danger with them, and uh, it seems like the episode is over, but then it's not. That's right. We get Janeway actual. Yeah. She and her crew have been picking up the proto-warp signals from the protostar, and she's going to get back out there and rescue Chakotay. Yeah. In the USS Dauntless, which looks like a Garden shovel face with an upside-down hood-style booty. Wow. (laughs) Wow, indeed. I'm going to say this. Not a very handsome ship. No, it's not a good-looking ship. Not at all. Which ship is uglier? The Pasteur, Beverly Crusher's ship, which had, like, (laughs) the ball front? Oh, yeah. Or the Dauntless, which fell out of Utopia Planitia and hit every branch on the way down? (laughs) (laughs) Man. Tough call. I do feel like Star Trek has consistently said the like post-Voyager, post-TNG era is a era of very ugly ship designs. This is a great observation by you, Ben. The ships are getting uglier. Yeah. No wonder Starfleet eventually became sort of bloated and (laughs) and, uh, feckless, you know? The pieces of this puzzle are finally coming together. Yeah. Like, this is something we know from Discovery that- that, uh, The ships aren't inspiring. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, sort of became just a a big bloated bureaucracy that wasn't able to help its member worlds as much as it should have been. And uh, having shitty ships is probably a big part of the problem. Yeah, a, a bunch of cool-ass ships would probably help morale. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Cool up your ships, Starfleet. <laughs> well, this is the last Prodigy episode we're going to get for a while. Did you like it, Ben? I did like it. I feel like it uh, did a really great job of tying up the big uh, cliffhanger and and also setting up an interesting new set of conflicts. It really feels like the Diviner, at least, is out of the picture for good. Who's to say if Dreadnought is uh, going to be a problem or not? But it also makes Gwen a little bit more of a question mark. Like, is there a scenario in which she becomes the antagonist of the protostar crew right yeah there's potential for that i'll be very curious to see how they resolve that but it seems like we won't find out for kind of a long time right that's my understanding yeah 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 we got a lot more new star trek to go before the show comes back we do did you like this episode adam i enjoyed 
the neatness with which it, it tied up all of these strings, but I think it was the weakest episode logically we've seen in a while for all of those holes, mm. you know? People appearing out of nowhere. The very name is racist. Us just having to assume how things happened. So much happening off screen. Yeah. Like the freeing of the slaves. What's so interesting is like we get that fun scene with Gjord Slut and Chordo. Mm-hmm. Acting like two passengers on a plane about to crash. Like, <laughs> I guess we better make out. It's our last chance or whatever. <laughs> it's weird in the very same episode where we get that scene, we are to believe that by and large, the entire population gets it together enough to rise up and counterattack against the diviner and get it together yeah. enough to do that. I mean, I know that's like... This is a kid show, and you shouldn't care, but <laughs> that seemed a little far-fetched. Yeah. And I also feel like we spent a lot of time caring about this population, and now we're just going to cut them loose, and that cat loose especially. The cat got long runs of dialogue and a bunch of screen time. Yeah. Now they're gone, along with all those people? I don't know. I don't know about that. Hmm. You, you'd like a more cat-centric cartoon show, is what you're saying. Ugh. That is not what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm ready to set a course for dog world immediately. Seriously? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I swear. I'm ready to set a course for uh, a pet-free zone for a little while, just for a little break. Huh. That's all. Well, do you want to uh, see if there's any respite for us in the Priority One inbox, Adam? There frequently is, isn't there? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Our first priority one message is from future Ian crossing the greatest timelines. And it is for Adam and Ben and past Ian. Goes like this. It is me, the called shot haver from TGG. I caught up a lot faster than it took for that P1 to come through. I considered getting a new P1 as soon as I caught up and racing them for both, but then I forgot to do that. This is my penance. P.S. I often watch Voyager and Disco in the bath. I call it a space bath, and my partner makes fun of me for it. <laughs> well, that's just the best part of this P1. Yeah. Do you think Ian has, like, two iPads going, one with Voyager and one with Disco, like, at the same time? I really wonder what what is the goal time for being in a bath because just a standard issue episode of Star Trek right now is is between 40 and 50 minutes. Yeah. And that is a struggle when we have recorded from the tub. <laughs> you really don't pr- appreciate a bath. <laughs> I appreciate a bath for bath's sake. I don't want to multitask my bath. Yeah. I mean, having a, having a thing to watch in the bath is really nice. Over the holidays, my wife and I spent a, a few days in a uh, cabin in the woods, and they had a great big bathtub in this cabin. And I, uh, I spent a, a solid two hours in the bathtub smoking jazz cigarettes and watching videos on my phone one day, and it was awesome. Wow. Were you just fucking pickled at the end of that? Two hours? Yeah, yeah it was great. Oh, God. I loved it. Just walking around a cabin, looking like Zero, hanging that one arm. 
<laughs> yeah, I got out and and my wife's eyes dilated and she she slumped in front she, of me. She started screaming. <laughs> um, yeah, I salute your space fancy, and I think your partner is is wrong to yuck your yum. Right. Well, I mean, but Adam agrees with your partner. I I don't necessarily agree that a priority one should be anyone's penance, but I am also glad that Ian did the work here. Mm-hmm. Did you think when Zero had just the one arm hanging below their body, it looked like Zero's penance? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also, like, uh, totally the opposite of the other appendage because this one's uncut. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Chris Hamilton, and it is to Adam. And in parentheses, it says, love you too, though, Ben. Oh, thanks, Chris. The message goes like this. We should have known better than to go up against a Dowd, but Kevin's Rashans defeated the likes of the Vichy Frenchman. Husnuck, Moosnuck, and the good team shitty name. You even pulled out a last-second victory in the finals like the Seahawks over the Packers in the 2015 playoffs. Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> thanks for playing fantasy FOD ball with us. Good job by you. Whoa! Chris Hamilton is a uh, is a real life friend of mine from back in Seattle. No kidding. Chris got me out of fantasy football retirement, and wow. I had some conditions for this. I was like, Chris, <laughs> I will only play. I, I will do it if it's themed after my Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Not at all. I was I was <laughs> delighted at how it was pre themed. I was the last wow. team to join. Uh, his league. I was like, Chris, I only want to play if people take it seriously. I stopped playing fantasy sports because people just stopped paying attention and stopped caring. I was like, I will put up a natural Jaeger to the winner of this thing to keep people interested. Wow. And so we played the whole season. Uh, I did fine until the playoffs where I went on a run. Wow. And, and as Chris says, I ended up winning the whole thing. So no one got a natural Jaeger. I got to keep it. <laughs> the Jaeger bubble continues. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great time playing in, in Chris's league. And and as he described, like all the team names were fun, greatest gen-related names. Did uh, uh, did we win the, the prize because the, uh, the league bought this P1? Or did Chris put up their own money for this P1? Chris mentioned that he was going to do something nice as a result of my league victory and this uh-huh. ended up being the surprise so thanks a lot wow. chris thanks for supporting the show and thanks for running a great fantasy league too chris good job by you good job uh not an easy thing to do to be the dungeon master of football no way the way to get a p1 on the show is to head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron and set it up we really appreciate it because it helps us keep this show going Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. It's zero, man. Not for, uh, not for melting Gwyn's brain. Not for dropping trow in front of the diviner. Do you think zero could melt steel beams? Hmm, probably not. Yeah. Almost nothing can. I know. Um, <laughs> but zero had an opportunity to swap out that bad hand this episode. Yeah. Zero blew it. Swapped the same bad hand back in. I think you said it on a previous show, Ben. Uh, You've got a vehicle replicator. 
Use it. Get a cooler suit, Zero. <laughs> yeah. Zero could have anything to wear. Yeah. And Zero chooses that. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's the thing sometimes. When you've been through a trauma, you just get used to having things a certain way. It can be very hard right. to change right. what those things are, especially when it comes to uh, a personal presentation, a haircut, a manner of dress, what have you. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that's the dark reason that, that Zero doesn't change. <laughs> Gonna need another arm, though, Zero. Maybe two more. Yeah. Yeah. Why stop at one? You know, Alexander Calder was famous for turning wire and scraps of metal into beautiful works of art. But Zero, this is your house. You know, you don't have to live that way. Using the Calder reference, can we also suggest that the appendage that Zero chooses be enormous? <laughs> Look at me, I'm standing under Zero's new arm. <laughs> Uh, did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? Uh, I'm I'm going to choose the Diviner. I think much like Edward Larkin, the Diviner had big ideas, but was just too dumb <laughs> to carry them out. Like, come on, the Diviner. You could have yeah. done this plan without Gwyn at all. You could have mm-hmm. blown Gwyn out an airlock and probably not felt anything. You didn't need her. I don't think this is established canonically, but I'm guessing that Edward Larkin drinks just as much grape juice as the Diviner. Oh, yeah. Barf. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So to summarize, the diviner for doing just tropey bad guy things and always getting in his own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got what you deserve, the diviner. And also, if we're making bets, I'm always making bets. The diviner's coming back. All you do is bets, 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 no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) All I do is bets, bets, bets. No matter what. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, the Diviner will return to Star Trek colon Prodigy, but we will return to Star Trek colon Discovery next week. Wow. that's coming back. I can't believe it. Star Trek Discovery is back for its second half. Yeah. Where we last left it, there was some sort of uh, explosive device that Book and uh, that other guy yeah. were, were going to go deploy. Kind of a parallel cliffhanger, right? Like, all is uh, potentially going to be lost if uh, the cliffhanger goes the way it seems like it's going to go. I'm going to make a prediction. I think Michael Burnham's going to be heavily involved Hmm. in figuring out what the problem is here and and potentially uh, solving the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Much like Tuvok's memory. (laughs) We're all cliff kids here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see you next week for that. Yeah, we're... uh... Looking forward to it, and if we get a description in time, you'll hear about it in the credits. Take it away, Wendy. Next week on the show, it's going to be a review of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8. It's called All In. Following a hunch, Captain Burnham tracks Book to an old haunt from their courier days and gets drawn into a high-stakes competition for a powerful weapon. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. We want to thank Adam Ragusea, who made all the music for this show. He also makes a great YouTube cooking channel, so go get subscribed. On Instagram and Twitter, find us at Greatest Trek, and those accounts are run by Bill Tilly. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. 
Edit all this out, Wendy. <laughs> Fuck. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.